0: Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to gather together to be with your people, to be with you and to get to hear and reflect on your word. We ask that as we reflect on your word that you would give us deeper insight into who you are into the world you created and into how much you love us. I pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Well, great to see you guys. (laughs) Many of you know that I served at Ascension for five years and recently moved to Colorado to to plant a church. But it is so good to see you and such a privilege to, to be back and to share with you this morning. I want to start out with a question. Can you remember your favorite Christmas party of all time? Can you remember it? I can remember mine. I'm not going to tell you about it, but I will tell you this. The thing that made it great were the people who were there. Having the right people at a party can make it fantastic. Having not so right the combination of people can make it kind of a drain. When I was reading the Christmas passages this year, I noticed something. God invites all the wrong people to his Christmas party. He invites all the wrong people. Those are the obvious ones. The pregnant teenage mom. The the boyfriend turned husband who sticks with her. The shepherds who had jobs nobody aspired to. Who had such dirty jobs they would have had to go through all kinds of ritual purification and worship with us today. Those are the obvious ones. You know, do you remember when the Pope was uh, installed as Pope this past you remember all the... It was obvious what was happening. Why didn't God choose for Jesus to be born to perhaps the daughter of one of the highest respected high priests who had married a respected Pharisee and they could have put him on display in the temple in a nice little crib. It well, all would have been so obvious. Why didn't it happen that way? Well, I saw something else about the Christmas story I had never seen before this year, and that is the wise men. It was totally inappropriate for God to invite the wise men. Today we're going to look at Matthew 2. We're going to look at the wrong guests, the wrong missionaries, and the power of gifts. The wrong people God invited are known by many names. Wise men, magi, the three kings. We don't know how many of these wise men there were, but we do know why they were considered wise. They were astrologers. In our society, astronomy, the study of the science of the stars, is distinct from astrology, the study of the message of the stars. But in ancient society, those were the same thing. And these wise men, were astrologers. They trusted the stars to predict the future and to give meaning to the present. In other words, they were idolaters. They trusted in things other than the living God. Everyone in Israel knew astrologers were bad. Each period of history normally has something that people are tempted to trust in besides God. Sometimes it's technological progress. Sometimes it's material wealth. For many years in the Old Testament, it was idols, man-made sculptures, made up gods that people would worship. When Israel was taken into captivity in Babylon, Babylon for many years, the world superpower of the day, Babylon, its most respected advisors were astrologers that's who they placed their trust in when you've read the Psalms, have you ever noticed that sometimes god says look at the stars i name them i know all their names for a long time i would read those passages and i thought that god was simply showing up and rightly so he was just saying You know, I have made the stars. That's pretty amazing. And I've named them. But now I realize he's saying something more than that. He's saying to the Babylonians and anyone else tempted to trust in the stars and their great knowledge of the stars, he's saying, you may think that you know the stars so well. You may trust them to predict the future. But I'm going to tell you something. I have named them. I know them much better than you do. I've created them, and I have power over them. The Israelites knew all this. So it was so bizarre that God would invite these people to his first Christmas party. These wise idolaters. Why does God send them? They traveled a long way. We're not told precisely where they started from. But if they started in Babylon, in modern-day Iraq, they would have traveled 600 miles. They show up in the capital of Israel and say, We understand that the new king of the Jews has been born. We've seen his star. We know we're getting close. Can you give us further directions? So Herod, the secular ruler, gathers all the chief priests and religious leaders of Israel, and he says, Please search the scripture and tell me where this king, where your Messiah is supposed to be born. They look through it, and they say, Bethlehem. By this point, everyone in Jerusalem knows what's going on, and they're terrified. They're terrified, because Herod is terrified that this new king is a threat to his power. But the important thing to understand is that everybody in Jerusalem knew, and the religious leaders knew, but then something very curious happens. All of the chief priests and scribes knew what was happening. They knew these strange visitors from the east had appeared, announcing the birth of their Messiah. But none of the leaders of God's people were willing to take a five-mile walk to Bethlehem to see if the Messiah was really there. None of them were willing to risk a two-hour walk to greet their new king. None of the pastors, or Bible scholars, or seminary professors lift a finger. All the leaders of God's people stay home, while all the wrong people accept the invitation they've been given. It turns out all the wrong people are becoming God's people. And it turns out these wise idolaters, these wise astrologers, weren't just the wrong party guests. It turns out they were some of the very first missionaries telling the world about the Christ child. So they set out for Bethlehem. After the star they had observed, the star that God controlled, kept leaving, inviting them to come see this new king. They found Mary. They knelt before Jesus, paid him out, unloaded their treasure chests, opened them up, and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Some scholars believe each of those three gifts represents something distinct about Jesus. That gold represented his kingship, frankincense represented his priestly role, and myrrh symbolized the way he would die on the cross for us. All three gifts were gifts traditionally given to kings. So at the very least, we can say these gifts indicated this unassuming David was a king. We don't know what Mary and Joseph did with these gifts, whether they kept them in trust for Jesus till he became an adult, or whether they sold them to provide for the family. We don't know. I think the real power in those gifts was not their economic value, but the mm-hmm. fact that they tell us something true about Jesus. They proclaimed to the world This unassuming baby is king. He will give you. He will rescue you. The best gifts in the world tell us something about Jesus. When I left Ascension six months ago for this Sunday, you gave me a gift. And it told me something about Jesus, even if you did not realize it. You gave me a a check to support St. Thomas, but I'm thinking of another gift you gave me that day. You gave me another check and you said, Josh, we know you like to ride bike. We know you need a new bike. Josh, go buy a new bike. Do you know what that gift told me? That gift told me Jesus really is making a new creation. He really is building a new community, a new family, not of flesh and blood, but united by him, united by his spirit. The more I read Jesus' words, the more I'm struck by how often he calls you and me sisters, his sister, his brother. How often he says, we are sons and daughters of his father. It's my father. When you gave me that gift and said, Josh, go buy this new Bible. That's what I learned about Jesus. He really is making a new creation, a new family. Then something else happened with that gift. It turns out it became something of a star. I went to a number of bike shops when I got to Fort Collins. At one of those stores, a nice salesman in his 50s asked me, what brought you to Colorado? I told him, and he said, huh, I've never been part of a church, but oh, you seem like a cool guy. I'd go to your church. So I was thinking, awesome. But I was also thinking, he's trying to sell me a bike. I shopped around. A week later, I bought a bike from that guy. A few weeks later, events were starting to ramp up, and I dropped off some invitations to the store for him. He wasn't there. So I I wrote a handwritten note, left my email and my phone number, and you know what I heard from him? Nothing. Nothing. (laughs) Silence. For weeks. So St. Thomas, after I invited him, at this huge community festival, had this tent. Johnny Cadden was there. This guy didn't show up. A few weeks later, having our first informational meeting, and I thought, he is not gonna be here. I haven't heard from him in more than a month. You know what? He was there with his wife. Yeah, it was great. And they kept coming. And they're part of the team now. The St. Thomas team of 30 people in Fort Collins are not necessarily the right people. (laughs) We look a lot like the first Christmas party. (laughs) Shepherds, Magi, people with untypical family situations, Here's a question I'd like to ask you. Do you ever feel like the wrong person? Do you ever feel like the wrong person for God to invite to his work? Do you ever feel like the wrong person to be God's missionary, to tell other people about Jesus? Well, I think we probably are the wrong people. To be invited to be a friend of the king of the universe, and yet here we are, guided by a star or a series of constellations we to seek, and we've come to believe, and here we are. If you're like me, you have had these thoughts. There is no way I am supposed to tell people about Jesus. I like God, but I'm not as devoted as they are. I don't have as much experience as they do. I don't know how to answer people's questions as well as they do i'm not as smart as they are if you're like me you probably have lots of reasons why you shouldn't be the one to go plant a church to be a missionary on the other side of the globe to invite your co-workers or neighbors to alpha to give a creative gift to someone that would tell them something about jesus one of the fascinating things that's happened since i moved to colorado is that I see myself in the biblical story more and more, and here's something I've noticed in that story: no matter how unqualified, no matter how qualified people are, God likes to use just-in-time logistics, <laughs> which in the business world is the gold standard. But for us, for real life, man, it's kind of uh, it's kind of scary. He seems to want to wait until the very last second to provide an answer to prayer, to provide the needed resources, to provide the rescue. It seems like God uses the wrong people so that everyone knows it's him who carried the day. And it seems like he uses just-in-time logistics so that no matter how wonderfully capable or woefully undercapable people are, everyone knows it's him who carried the day. Maybe that's why God invites the wrong people. Maybe that's why he sends the wrong people as missionaries. As we look at this story, there's a danger I see. And that is to think of it as a nice Disney fairy tale movie. And the credits are over. It's over. The story's ended. You know, it is a nice story. And I used to think of it like a Disney movie. But now I think of it more like a Bourne movie. You know the Bourne identities? You read on, and stuff gets real. Like there's all kind of intrigue and espionage, and people getting killed left and right. And on the one hand, this was an historical event that is over. But on the other hand, God keeps inviting the wrong people. God keeps sending cryptic messages, inviting people to see. He keeps working through the wrong missionaries, through the wrong people. And the danger when you read this is to think that it's something that happened in the past that has benefited us, but that we are outside. But the thing I realize is that God is replaying this story again and again, calling us to be part of it. There's one more danger I'd like to mention today. Whenever I would hear a guest preacher who is planting a church or a visiting missionary come to, come back home to a church, I would sit in the pew and I would think, man, that's awesome. Like, I'm glad things are going well, but man, they are so much different than I am. Like, I could never do that stuff. The thing I want you to know today is I'm just a normal person, like you. Sitting before God and thinking through Given who God has made me, what is the best way in the whole and stuff of life? What is the best way I can interact with my neighbors and coworkers and friends and family to try and tell them stuff about Jesus and create a I'm going to close with four quick questions. Would you, with me, be on the lookout for how God is inviting the wrong people. Would you, with me, put aside all the excuses we build up in our heads about why we are the wrong people to tell others about Jesus? Would you, with me, look for ways we can give gifts that tell others about Jesus? And would you, with me, if you're able, kneel with me right now like the wise men, to pay Christ homage and to pray together. Father, you are always surprising us. I would not have invited the Magi to the Christmas. You are always inviting the wrong people. Thank you for inviting us. Thank you for using the wrong people throughout the biblical story, throughout church history, and today. Would you open our eyes to the invitations you are giving to the people around us? Would you show us ways that you can (coughs) use us? To tell others about you and this year would you increase the fame of your name would you bring more and more wrong people to know you here in pittsburgh in colorado and all over the world thank you so much for this gift that you've given us inviting us into your family, of giving us the savior you In Jesus' name.